Okay. Okay. Would you have believe me if, if I told you I've been talking for like 20 minutes or an hour? <laughs> would, would you believe me? <laughs> I've, I've, I've mentioned before on, um, on my previous videos, I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> so I'm trying my best to, to figure this whole thing out. I can't believe the, uh, it wasn't even streaming this whole time. I've, I've actually gone over this whole thing. So now I can go back and start over and do it all again. No problem. No problem. Um, so I had a good first, uh, run. I, I was curious why it didn't, it did seem a little odd when I was speaking. I'm not sure, but, um, <laughs> if anybody wants to volunteer their time to help a ignorant, uh, professor figure out how to do this stuff, I'm, I'm accepting applications. <laughs> oh man. I actually was went all the way through this and now I'll start back over. I was actually about to disconnect, believe it or not. <laughs> and it just came up. Like, it weren't streaming. So I apologize for you guys waiting. I'm really sorry. <laughs> all right. So here we go. We'll, we'll try this again. I'm sorry. Um, okay. <laughs> so let, let's see. Let me re reorient myself. You guys have been waiting for so long. I'm so sorry. And I've been, I've been talking thinking you guys were hearing me. Okay. Um, today. Okay. We're going to go over a few things here. So housekeeping items. One is, um, um, if you want to, if you want to have any discussion with me in private on one-on-one -on -one, work with your stuff, you can go to calendly.com slash Travis Shaddix and you can see my schedule and, and sign up for all that stuff. If you ever want to do that stuff Two is, um, I was able to get a hold of the Dean. I was able to confirm with the Dean that she will meet with me on this. If I can do it, <laughs> if I can do it without messing up, um, on Monday, the 11th at 9.30, okay? So we're gonna have um, the Dean of Research come on and discuss with me and you the hierarchy of evidence. And what, uh, what she's gonna do is she's gonna discuss why this is important to understand the different levels of evidence, the different values and so forth, um, just because it's in a publication, um, that doesn't necessarily mean it's as good evidence as something else. Um, and she'll kind of talk about how uh, the uh, hierarchy of evidence is important for you all whenever you're, if you do decide to start reading some scientific literature and whenever you all start that, um, it's, it, it'll help you kind of contextualize and, and help critical think your way through some of those publications and articles. So the articles I've been going over are review articles, which are much more important and much more valuable to us as, as DIYers or scientists than any individual report within that review. Okay. So she's going to go over that Monday at nine 30 here. If <laughs> I better get it right, because she's only given me an hour. So if I miss up, then that's it. It's over. Um, so look forward to that on Monday. I will stream again tomorrow. It looks like it's going to be like a Monday through Thursday thing. So I'll be back on tomorrow and we'll see uh, if I can get it fixed and, <laughs> and avoid what I did today. Um, so let's get into what we're going to be discussing today. There was a question or a comment about uh, me going over this pyramid that I went, I showed, um, I guess a few months ago, whatever it was. And so we're going to be going over this today. <clears throat> 
and uh so we'll talk about today the this was developed well the pyramid i think i maybe i put it together i don't know if somebody else maybe did it before me but i i put this pyramid together when i was in florida with the extension program in florida we developed a program um going around the state and the acronym was wlt so water light temperature so i like that acronym we were talking about for i'm a fertility specialist so my area is fertilizers but I, I wanted people to back up and think about water, light, and temperature first, okay? And so we used that down in Florida for a while, and I, I eventually added injury, and then I added turf injury, and I added fertile soil. And these are ranked in order of um, common occurrence. It's not importance, it's, in, it's occurrence. All of them are important. Um, but how frequently do they occur? And in general, this is how you'll see them. You'll see water occur uh, more frequently or issues related to water occur more frequently than say fertile soil. So that's kind of how to work with it. Now, before we go too far deep into that, what we're going to do is explain how I did not come up with this. I may have put it in a pyramid form, but I definitely was not the one who first identified these categories as, as categories of interest for turf grass. So who did? I'm not sure, but I think there was OJ Noir in his book, ABC of Turf Culture, the ABC of Turf Culture by O.J. Noir, he, he first listed these as categories that influence plant growth. And so we want to go back, and, and we're not going to read the book, but I'm going to show you. So ABC of Turf Culture, Noir, if I remember, whoop, 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 hang on, I'm screwing up. Screwing up here, I'm getting there, hold on. So a, a, the ABC is a turf culture. OJ uh, had this published in 1928, okay? So this is 95 years old, and you may be astonished by the inf how the information in this book still is very relevant and practical today. There, there's some information in there that is a little bit, you know, fringe, <laughs> to say the least. We've since, you know, developed and done some work that some of the information there is not completely accurate anymore, but a huge majority of it is absolutely valid and useful today. Okay. From 1928, this is where I, I pulled this from. Okay. So if I can get it to forward, here's OJ. He was a graduate of university of Wisconsin. And if I remember, um, he, he was the, the, the world, the, the United States foremost expert in turf grass in the twenties. He, he was the resource that people went to. I believe, I may be wrong, but I believe in Wisconsin, Doug's research center up there or the field plots or something up there at his research center is named like the OJ Noir Research Center. Um, so this is who wrote the ABCs of Turf Culture. And in this book, on the first text page, the page number five, he has chapter one, Factors Affecting Turf Growth. And you can read through here and, you know, understanding basic principles of plant growth, da, da, da. The growth of plants is dependent upon the following factors, air temperature, which now we would probably say soil temperatures or just temperature in general, because both air and soil affect it. Um, water, light, fertile soil and injury. So if anybody ever um, uh, believed that somehow Shaddix came up with this, this stuff, it's not true. Okay. It's at least as old as 1928 in the world of turf grass at least 
So he he had them listed here. You know, perhaps I I um, I did a picture. Uh, uh, perhaps I ranked them like this in a pyramid format. Maybe it makes a little bit more sense. I don't know, but um, OJ listed them ninety five years ago. I think it does it a little bit of injustice to simply talk about them or say, you know, as if they're equal. They're equal in terms of importance, but in terms of their occurrence, they're, they're nowhere near the same. And so I think that when you list them in a pyramid like this, it might make a little bit more sense to the average turf manager or DIYer or scientist, whoever, about, you know, what should we be looking at first whenever we um, try to diagnose turf grass issues, okay? So I'll walk through this and you, I'll explain to you how I use this pyramid. When we are addressing turf grass uh, issues, the first thing I look at is water because water tends to be the most common risk factor, the most common issue that arises, whether it's too little uh, or too much or the quality of water. So before I ever go to fertile soil and start reading soil test reports, I will ask the manager for their water. I want to see your water. I want to see your clocks. I want to see your heads turn. I want to know how much water you're putting out per minute. All those things. I want to see how uniformly it's distributed. Because if I do that, there's a pretty good chance that whatever you're seeing is going to be resolved from, from the get-go using water as the first criteria to look at in terms of risks. Okay. After water comes temperature. I used to have this water light and then temperature, but I recently ran a poll on Twitter and a majority of people said temperature and I'm okay with that. Temperature is um, more common than light. I'm okay with that. You know, temp temperature is, is, you know, probably more common. Um, but is there anything we can do about it? Not really. Unless you're in a greenhouse. You can't really do anything about the temperature, but here's what's critical on the on the pyramid to understand about temperature. Is that it changes with seasons and we oftentimes lose track of that. OK, I know light changes with season two, but as the temperature changes and declines, you're probably not out there looking at a thermometer, looking at every day and measuring it on a, on a graph and say, oh, the temperatures dropped two degrees, three degrees. You're probably not doing that. You're probably busy making money. You're probably busy talking to your clients or busy taking care of the football field or the fairway or the green or whatever the case is. You're not thinking about, oh, the temperature dropped five degrees in the last three weeks. And so suddenly you start to see disease come up or disease go down or whatever the case might be. You see temperature changes and you, you temper the temperature changes and you're not keeping track of it so much. But as we're moving into September now. I'm going to see my fescue start to increase in its growth habit. I'm, I'm in Lexington, Kentucky. But at the same time, there is a little bit of Bermuda in Lexington. You're going to start to see Bermuda grass start to decline. And it's due to light, too. But temperature is starting to change due to seasons. And so I'm going to use an example here. So how could you use this to your advantage? It's really setting expectations. So let's say you're redoing someone's lawn, you're either seeding it or sodding it or whatever the case is, and you're doing tall fescue. Let's just use Lexington. Is you're going to go out and seed, if you're going to go out and seed tall fescue at, say, August 1, that's, that's fine. That's, people would argue that's a little early. But it's fine as long as you set the expectations to the customer. And the expectations are this. 
If you can seed it August 1 and you can keep it alive throughout August, you're going to gain two or three or four weeks at the end before it slows down and, and goes into dormancy in December. You're going to gain that much more growth. But if you don't, if you don't keep it alive in August because it's hot, you, you take a risk of failure, of almost total failure in terms of disease, in terms of just heat stress and so forth on these young plants. So you can you can play you can you can play that game you can you, you know as long as you set the expectations that the customer knows hey we're we're taking a risk here seeding it early the reward is this the the risk is this because of the temperature if we wait till september we have a lower risk but we have two or three fewer weeks at the end to, you know to keep to get it grown in this year so that's just a, a small example of how understanding temperature can better your business or better your communication with your clientele. Okay. I'm not going to go out and fertilize and worry about fertilizer and worry about, you know, all these injuries on newly seeded tall fescue in August. I'm worried about temperature and water. Okay. So that's how I would, I would look at temperature with light. <clears throat> light is also, also, also changes with seasons, obviously. Um, but what I want to talk about with light is an app that I've used for ages called Sunseeker. <clears throat> Excuse me, my voice, I, I'm having some, some allergies or something. My, my throat is a little bit messed up. This app Sunseeker will tell you, I'm going to put it to 3d view. I don't know if you can see this. You're going to see some blue lines and a yellow arrow and, um, you're going to see the sun. It's going to tell me where the sun is relative to, um, well, where the sun is on the on the screen. Okay, when you when you use the phone outside with this Sunseeker or another app that does some, some, something similar, you can see the track of the sun on the winter solstice and the summer solstice and then the equinoxes. And so, if you're sitting out on Miss Smith's lawn in the backyard and there's tree line in the back, you can say, "Oh, she goes, well, I have plenty of sun. You know, the sun's up here and it's it's open to the sun. Meanwhile, there's a tree in the back and there's a house on the there's say there's trees on the east side and a house on the west side. Well, you can show her definitively with this app. The sun doesn't come up over these trees until one o'clock, and it goes down over your house at four o'clock. Is that enough sun to grow tall fescue? It actually might be, but." You can use an app like that to communicate to your clientele or to your members or owners or whoever about the reality of how much light actually exists here. Okay, there's enough light here on the summer solstice, but on the equinox, it goes behind that building or it goes behind that tree. And on the winter solstice, there's no sun here for, you know, three months. But you didn't, you weren't able maybe to effectively communicate that because you didn't have an app like this that tracks the path of the sun over the sky. It's very easy to use. So when it comes to light, there's not a whole lot you can do unless you want to buy a chainsaw and you're okay cutting down trees. But be aware of that. Be aware of where the light is in your hemisphere. What I mean by that is if you're uh, if you have a property that's sloped south in the northern hemisphere it's you're going to have a different situation than if that exact same situation occurs but the slope is sloping north because you have less exposure to the sun it might not seem like a lot but it can make a big difference you can't do much about it but you can communicate that expectation you can say hey this tree is on the south side of your lawn 
yes, it, it, it's only a, say a pine tree. It doesn't have, it's not like a catalpa tree or something that's heavy shade, but it's on the south side of your lawn. Okay. Your neighbor on the other side of that tree, it's on the north side of his lawn. So it's not casting shade on his lawn anywhere near to the same degree as casting on your lawn because of the way the lights cast from the sun on, in, in the hemisphere. So, so please be aware of that. I would look at that next. Now, as we move into injury, we're talking about abiotic and biotic injury. So from pests or from, um, you know, uh, you know, people or whatever the case might be talking about diseases, insects, nematodes, all these things. Okay. The, the injury tends to be more frequently encountered even than fertile soil. So for example, um, if you are managing a putting green in New Hampshire, bent grass, or somewhere in New York, you're measuring, managing a POA green or whatever, and you are constantly applying fungicides because disease is, is, is so prevalent in those locations. Well, injury is your most, your highest risk factor. It's, but it's still not as common as water, light, and temperature. Okay. But for you and your location, injury is the most important thing because you're, you're on a regular fungicide application program to prevent any occurrence. Okay. But, um, but this is where the pesticides come in. Um, this is where a lot more money's made in this category than light temperature and water. Okay. So that's, that's injury. I would look at that next. So if I was out on the lawn and someone said, Oh, you want to look at my soil test? I was okay. Where's the water? What time of year is it? What's the temperature? What's going on with light? Are there any, you know, annual bluegrass weevils out? That's the injury component. That's what I'm thinking about on the lawn. Are there any nematodes if I'm in a putting green or if I'm in, you know, some parts of South Carolina, Texas, Florida, where nematodes tend to be more common. Okay. I'm, I'm thinking of those long before I'm thinking of fertile soil. Okay. So if I've gone through all these water, light, water, temperature, light, injury, and I don't have the solution found yet. I haven't found the problem that this person is encountering yet. Then I'll go to fertile soil and I'm a fertility specialist, as you all know. Okay. But that is the last thing I think about on this list is fertile soil. But there are occasions where once you get to that point, then sometimes the solution presents itself. Okay. Um, but the time spent diagnosing issues is probably most efficient by addressing water temperature, light injury first. Okay. So let's talk about fertile soil a little bit. When it comes to fertile soil, I am always impressed with the, um, the, just the, the level of, um, <laughs> I don't know how to say it nicely, but just <clears throat> the level of subterfuge that exists in, in the sales community and the, the companies that sell these test kits and so forth. There, there is, um, a great deal of misinformation presented on these soil tests. And so I'm going to go over that just a little bit when it comes to fertile soils. <clears throat> oftentimes we're talking about reading a soil test. Okay. The only time I would get to that point is if there's an unacceptable level of turf quality or performance, and I've already gone through these four risk 
um, factors. Okay, I don't know how in the world anybody can can have any confidence on looking at a soil test report and just with no knowledge of the turf looking at a report and going, oh yeah, you need to apply phosphorus because your phosphorus is whatever, 15, 20. That, that, that is not an evidence-based approach, guys. We need to stop that. Knock it off. Seriously. Oh, the potassium is 40 parts per million malic 3. you got to apply potassium. Why? My turf is fine. The point of the soil test report is to provide information to the manager that would result in him applying, a, him or her, applying a, a nutrient that would take the turf from where it is to an acceptable level. If it's already acceptable, you do not need to apply nutrients, okay? It, 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 there's no need for that. I don't care if the pH is 10, okay? If you take a soil test report and the pH is 10 and someone says, oh, you got to go out there and you got to apply ammonium sulfate, you got to apply sulfur, you got to get that pH, pH down. Why? My, my turf is the best it's ever looked. I'm, I'm saying this hypothetically. It's the best it's ever looked. What do I got to adjust the pH for? What do I care what the pH is? I care what the turf looks like. And if the turf is fine, the turf is fine. And then people say, well, I want to lower my risk. Or I want to increase my chances of micronutrient availability. Or I want to move the numbers, <clears throat> you know, so I have lower risk in other areas. There is some value to that concept, I guess. But ultimately, you have to stay focused on the turf grass. Is the turf acceptable or is it not? Okay. Taking a soil test should be a result of an attempt to diagnose unacceptable turf. So if your turf is acceptable, don't get lured into an attempt to, you know, apply magnesium because your magnesium is, you know, 20 parts per million malic 3. Okay. Magnesium may indeed be deficient. It may be at that level. But it doesn't matter if the turf is acceptable. Okay. That's kind of the driving, the, the, the point I want to make here. It is not possible for me to interpret a soil test report unless I know what the turf looks like first. Tell me what the turf looks like. Is it growing to your rate, your speed? Is it color? Is it the color that you want it to be? You know, if it is, I, I honestly. I couldn't care less what the soil test report says, honestly. Doesn't matter to me. Okay. If you have a pre-existing condition, then we can go down those roads and we can talk about that a little bit if you want to. But but it, you stay focused on the turf. And what... Um, <clears throat> yeah, Gray Fox is saying we still need in, don't we? Well, what do you think? So if your turf is growing well and your grass looks fine... Do we need to apply in? Good question. If it, let, let's think about it this way. Let's go to the extreme. If your turf is acceptable and you take a soil test report and your phosphorus level says it's zero, would you apply phosphorus? Should you apply phosphorus if your soil test level is zero? Now, if you see a soil test report without knowing anything about the turf, imagine virtually everyone would say you need to apply phosphorus because it's zero. What I'm trying to get people to think about is I don't care. Neither should you about what that number is. 
unless the turf is unacceptable or you have a pre-existing condition that there's another issue there if you want to pursue that we can't but if the turf is acceptable then and that phosphorus says it's zero then that soil test is wrong there was an error there was a problem there was a miscalculation whatever it was but it's not accurate because the turf grass is almost never going to be growing well at a phosphorus level of zero so you have you have to use the soil test first as a measure as a as a gauge to guide you first the soil test is there for that purpose for turf grass not for the soil okay so when it comes to in do you need to apply in well if it's growing at your rate of speed you want and it looks great then no now you can obviously forecast out with nitrogen how it's going to um, decline if you apply urea or ammonium sulfate you're going to see an, an increase in growth and you're going to see a decrease in growth as it as it exhausts its supply of nitrogen we're aware of that and you can you can anticipate that and predict that and so you you may be, you may be in a situation where the turf grass is quote unquote acceptable but you know it's been going down it's been slowing down and you have a football game and you need more growth then you can use that knowledge as a as a means to manage your nitrogen even if the turf grass is acceptable because you're aware it's it's going down because of nitrogen i'm familiar with this that's a little get, get a little bit more on but um my 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 position holds for every element you know if it's fine you don't need to apply it basically is the take-home message here um yeah so aldo when you say not everyone's level of acceptable is the same some have unrealistic expectations when i say acceptable that's exactly what i mean is that it is completely subjective to the to the person viewing it so in, if you're dealing with homeowners to the homeowner you're dealing with coaches to the coach if you're dealing with superintendents it's the superintendent's eye the member's eye so it's completely subjective that's correct absolutely so it's it, it differs so um what is acceptable to me is vastly different to what's acceptable to my neighbor i've said it before in a previous podcast um one of my previous neighbors did never fertilize never did any, never did any pesticides and she was perfectly happy and it was 90 percent weeds maybe i don't know maybe i'm exaggerating 50 percent weeds whatever it was a lot of weeds that's not acceptable to me but it is to her so what does it matter does she need to take a soil test and apply potassium because her turf isn't acceptable to me no turf's acceptable to her what's the point in taking a soil test so yeah so um one more thing i want to say about this is the the dollars so this is this is um goes from commonality common occurrence of risk factors at the bottom so the water is the most common and moves up most many companies and many salesmen are trying to get you to think this way they're trying to get you to think up that pyramid okay they're wanting you to think about buying pesticides buying fertilizer buying soil test buying potassium you know buying whatever the case is buying they're thinking because all the money is in the in, in the top two sections there's not a lot you can buy for water there's a little some wetting agents and there's a few things you can do there's not a lot you can buy for temperature or light so they're trying to get you to move up the pyramid i'm trying to get you all to think down that pyramid think down first work on those elements first and by all means, if you move up into injury and you haven't found your solution, then we have pesticides to, res to solve that. There's, you know, we, I'm not demeaning 
the, the ability to, to apply pesticides or salesmen, they're there for that purpose, okay, to buy the products we need if we've addressed these first, the water temperature and light first, and the bifertilizer if we're, you know, like I said, if, if nitrogen is needed, we have to get it from somewhere. So get it. But think down first. Think of the basic fundamentals of plant growth and development first before you start going down these roads of trying to diagnose issues on a soil test report. The issue might be on a soil test report, but I wouldn't go there first. Okay, start with water, light, and temperature. And then you can go to the pesticides and, and there's some other products in here too. And then go to fertile soil. Okay, so that's kind of my take-home message for this hierarchy of risks. I'm calling it Shaddix's hierarchy of risk. <laughs> Maybe that's a little egotistical, so I don't know. Um, so Randy, so it says, so if turf is not responding to N applied, all other part of the pyramid are fine, then you proceed with a soil test. That's exactly right. Yes. If turf grass is not responding to nitrogen, particularly urea, then a soil test is your friend in that case because more than likely you have a sulfur deficiency. If it's not responding to ammonium sulfate, then you're going to have another problem. <laughs> it's probably not a nutrient. It's probably some other bug in the soil or something else attacking it or something else on the bottom of this pyramid that we maybe overlooked or whatever. Um, but yes, I, I, and uh, again, I, all of them are important. I don't want to say don't soil test. I'm just saying... Soil test only after you've you've determined the turf is unacceptable or there's a pre-existing condition and you've checked off these four boxes first. And then when you're looking at the test, you can have confidence that the reason I'm looking at the test is because my turf is, needs help. It's not acceptable. And I've looked at all the basic problems, the, the more common factors that could influence it. I feel confident that it's none of those. Let's look on the soil test and then see if we see something that's out of line. Okay, that'll save you guys a bunch of money for sure. Because, like I said, you know, to think up that pyramid is is the opposite of what what I would like for you to start trying to do. Maybe you're already doing it, but think water first, temperature next, light next. Set your expectations. Try to set the customer's expectations the best you can, and then move up into the uh, the fertile soil. So. Yeah, so lush lines, could it be a pH issue? I'm not sure what you mean by it. I mean, if, if it's not responding to nitrogen. pH is, you know, critical. There's no no question about it, okay? Um, it influences virtually every important function in the soil, all right? Um, but even pH, I'm not overly concerned about. I'm certainly not concerned about the point where I'm going to spend money trying to adjust it unless there's a turf problem. And it hasn't been discovered by you know water temperature light or injury. Okay, trying to to adjust pH. Um, well, I mean it can be done. I mean it's, it can be done with with consistency, um, but it, it it should be because the turf is unacceptable as a result of the pH. So if the pH is say five and a half, oh I'm going to go out and lime the soil. Okay, why? Why do you want to go out and line the soil when it's five and a half? Oh, because uh, my micronutrients become more available in the six and a half range or microbial activity becomes more active in the six and a half range. Those are all really bad reasons. Okay. <laughs> Those are horrible reasons to think to adjust pH. The reason why you should consider adjusting pH 
is because the turf is unacceptable as a result of its current level. Okay, there's plenty of turf growing perfectly well at pH 5.5. Yours might not be. Yours may be unacceptable because it's 5.5. But we need to be more confident with that number before we start going buying a bunch of lime and throwing it out. And the same thing goes in the high end. If it's 8.5, we should be applying sulfur and ammonium sulfate to lower it. Why? If the turf is acceptable, there's no reason to be overly concerned about pH. The whole point of a soil test, like I've said, is to manage your turf to an acceptable level. And if it's already acceptable, then a lot of those numbers can just be disregarded. Okay? <clears throat> you don't have a response from urea because of the pH. So if you have a pH of 8.5 or 9 or whatever, and you're putting out urea and you're smelling it volatilize and you're convinced that that's the case, well, then that could be a good reason. It's maybe very little of the nitrogen is actually getting into the plant because the pH is so high. That could be. I don't know. I don't know your situation, Randy, but that could be. Um, yeah, so so Lush, if you say in your, the bad lawns that exist, um, I see our, our um, pH 5.5, I think that's what you're saying. Um, if that's the case... Oftentimes, the knee-jerk reaction is to go out and throw out and apply lime. Lime's cheap. I'll just go out and throw out and apply it. The problem I have with that is that the mentality that you have, not you, but I mean the mentality that people have, oh, pH 5, I'm going to throw it out. You're not critically thinking about the process. And so that is relatively benign. You, I mean, the idea of buying lime and putting out is benign. But the concept of, 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 of disregarding critical thinking through that will, will lead you to likely being taken advantage of in the future when this is, it is critical. Oh, this, this like I said before, this um, new piece of equipment is going to do X. Oh, let's go get it. Well, well, hold, well hold on. <laughs> it's like, well, so that's what I'm trying to get people, the critical thinking process to, well, if you learn that, then you can apply that to whatever category of turf I mean, you probably already, I don't want to, I don't want to assume you don't already have it. I mean, but to, to continue to practice that, uh, involves a little effort, you know, a little bit of, a little bit of forethought and effort. So, um, so hopefully I didn't turn anybody off on that. I, I have a, I think I have a different viewpoint than majority of, of people on soil tests, but it's because I deal with this stuff. Okay. I, I, I know how flawed these tests are. I know how variable they are. Okay, we're doing, um, I'll bring this up in the future, we're doing a soil test philosophy study as we speak. I'm starting it, um, well, either this week or next week, and we'll see how that goes. Um, but there's just, I, I just don't have a great deal of confidence in these soil test interpretations or recommendations, um, and, and unless they've been properly correlated and calibrated. I just don't have that much confidence in it. So um, I, I would, I would, just encourage people to stay focused on their turf first. Look at the turf grass first before you start really trying to chase numbers and my number's high or my number's low and I need to adjust it. Okay. So, um, yeah. So, Randy, so you pH 8.1, ammonium sulfate is my source. I just wanted to point that in source matter. Yeah. So, if, you're, if your pH is 8.1, and let's say you were using urea and your pH was 8.1. Then I would, even without really knowing what your, your your pH was, I might say, well, you're applying nitrogen already. Just switch to ammonium sulfate. You know, in other words, I'm not really trying to 
diagnose a problem i'm just like you're already applying nitrogen anyway the ammonium sulfate over years will kind of lower that down a little bit but if the, you know if the turf grass is not fine is what i want you to focus on i don't i don't really um have a lot of confidence in trying to you know chase numbers on a soil test and just because the ph is eight i should i should uh, you know um, spend excess money to try to lower it I think switching from urea to ammonium sulfate in that case is is not excess money. You're still applying nitrogen. You're just applying a different form of it. Um, now, if you're going to tell me you're going to go out and you're going to apply, you know, five pounds of sulfur and you're going to 10, 10 pounds every whatever, four or five months, then I'll be like, well, <laughs> do you really want to spend your money on that? You know, I mean, I don't know if that's really the cause of your unacceptable turf grass or not first. Um, so, so that's kind of, I don't know if that makes sense or not, but that's kind of my, my thought process. Okay. I've got to wrap this thing up. I'm getting hungry. So next I will be on tomorrow. I'm going to be going over the last of my potassium papers. I'm trying to get the potassium papers out of the way for now. Cause people are moving into the fall. I think it's kind of relevant. It's going to be potassium on Bermuda again. Um, it's a new paper, um, or different paper. And then don't forget Monday, this coming Monday, the 11th, I have the Dean coming on at nine 30 in the morning to discuss the hierarchy of evidence. So it'll be a very similar conversation we had just now where we have a pyramid on the screen and, um, she will be discussing the differences among pieces of evidence and how you should critically review different pieces of evidence in terms of influencing your confidence and and whatever whatever they're they're publishing okay so look forward to that on monday so uh, with that guys i really appreciate everybody showing up if you have any questions or other future interests to for me to talk about um post it in chat or send me an email and if you want to talk to me one-on-one -on -one, don't forget calendly.com uh, slash travis shaddix thanks a bunch guys and girls appreciate it we'll see you tomorrow